great to be here. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love being here with you on Sunday mornings. It's just refreshing and encouraging. I hope you feel the same way. If you're new here, as Rolana said, we'd love to get to know you, so please introduce yourself to me and her and others. It's a great community to be a part of. How many of you have ever asked someone you know this question? Are we okay? You know that question? How many of you have asked that of someone you know? Maybe uh, if you're married, maybe you've asked it of your spouse, uh, maybe of a friend, of a coworker, of a parent, of a child. I think pretty much if you've ever met anyone anywhere, you've at least thought this question, if not asked it of someone else. Are we okay? We uh, ask that question a lot, and I think maybe without realizing it, we ask it of God a lot too. A lot of us aren't totally sure as we go through our days that we're okay with God. We're not sure if God's okay with us, and sometimes we're not sure that we're okay with God. Today, we are finishing up our series in the book of Exodus. We began this last September, and so if you've hated it, then it's going to be over. So that's something to celebrate. Uh, if you've loved it, it's been great, and that's something to celebrate too. So uh, really fun to see the whole story come to its conclusion. But if you remember back to when we began this series, back in September, we read this verse, and we realized that God's people were definitely not okay. Listen to Exodus 2, 23. We heard, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And so if we think about those people back at the beginning of this story, they'd been in slavery for 400 years. And they probably thought that God wasn't okay with them. Why else would he let them suffer? And in return, they probably weren't that okay with God because why didn't he hear their cries? And so as we think about us today in this place, I realize that each one of us comes into this room, joins online with a certain posture. Maybe you're not sure that God is okay with you. Maybe you've done something or you're doing something and you're not sure God can forgive you or you're just not sure that your life really lines up with what he wants from you. And you're not sure that, that you can be accepted by him. Or maybe it's the other way and you're not okay with God. You've suffered something, you've lost something, you feel like maybe God hasn't shown up in the way you want him to, and you're kind of upset with him. You're not sure that you feel good towards him at all. Or maybe there's a third category. You walk in here and you're, you're not even sure about this whole God thing to begin with. Maybe you've grown up in the church, but you're not really sure God's real. Maybe you're just starting to explore church and you're still having a lot of questions. You have a lot of doubts, so you're not even sure whether to be okay with someone because you're not even really sure he's there. Well, if you find yourself in any of those three categories, let me assure you that you are in good company in the scriptures because the Bible is full of stories of people who weren't sure whether God was okay with them. They felt guilty, they felt far away, they felt lost, and they heard a message of acceptance. 
It's also full of stories of people who were mad at God, who weren't okay with him. And they felt the freedom to bring that to God and have him receive it and receive them. There's also a ton of people in the Bible who weren't even sure God was real and who had to go through different things and learn different lessons until they finally encountered him for themselves. So my prayer is wherever you find yourself this morning, that as we look at this picture in Exodus, that you would encounter God because the story that we're seeing now is a picture of God's people finally okay with him and he's okay with them. It's the, it's the end of a long journey. It's a final settling where everything feels right. And so my prayer is that that picture of God's people experiencing that might encourage you and might be part of what God uses in your life to move you maybe to the next step. We realize as we begin this passage that this is actually a New Year's message. So it's uh, middle of June, so what better time for a New Year's message, right? This passage begins on the first of the year, and as is normal with a New Year's message, we end up kind of looking back a little bit at what's gone before, and we look forward a little bit at what's to come. And so as we do that with this passage, there's two big ideas that I really want us to walk away with, two encouragements. The first is that God is with you. When you look back and when you experience your life today, you would walk away from here convinced that God is with you. But the second is that as you leave from here, you know that God is going with you, that God is taking you from where you are to wherever you're going next, and that he will walk with you faithfully. So let's see how this picture in Exodus helps us to realize that. First, let's begin with Ikea. How many people have bought Ikea furniture? How many people harbor a deep hatred in their hearts for the assembly process? I will confess that. Thank you, Julie. You make me feel better. Um, when God's people built the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle is this structure that God's people were gonna, that God was going to live in. It was basically like an Ikea kit that they were building. So they, they built the structure so that God's people could easily put it together and take it apart, put it together and take it apart. And so what we find now at the end of the story is the actual assembly of the tabernacle. They've already built it. Now they're putting it together. Here's Exodus 40, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. The instructions continue to describe all the things that Moses is supposed to do to assemble the tabernacle. But notice that this happens on the first day of the first month. This is a new beginning for God's people. It's a new year. As we keep reading and as we see the work being done, we find out more about the timing when this takes place. Look at verses 16, 17, and then we're going to jump ahead to, the, to verse 33. So we read, this Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him, so he did. So he assembled the tabernacle. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Jumping down to verse 33, we read, he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. 
So Moses finished the work. That's when you finally appreciate Ikea, right? It's assembled. All the pegs, you have like seven left, and you're not sure where they were supposed to go. But for Moses, the tabernacle is done. It's put together. And we notice that this is not just the first of the year, but that this is a celebration. This is the second year. And so this commemorates a year prior, which was when God led his people out of Egypt. So this is an anniversary celebration as well as a New Year's celebration. And it's normal when you celebrate the New Year to to look back at what God's done and look forward to what he's going to do. And so for the people of Israel in the desert, it has to do with God's presence among them. That's how they're celebrating the New Year, with a tabernacle. Now, this got me thinking as I was studying the passage about different cultures and how they celebrate New Year's. So I did a little research and found a bunch of interesting things. The one that particularly jumped out to me was the country of Haiti. Because for Haiti, their New Year's celebration is also their Independence Day celebration. On January 1st, 1804, Haiti became independent from France and also became the first country in the Western Hemisphere to abolish slavery, declared freedom. And one of the traditions they do on their New Year is to eat pumpkin soup, like the rest of us, right? Not so much. But because their New Year's celebration is also an Independence Day celebration, they do something that they weren't allowed to do when they were slaves. This is called soup jumu, and it's a, it's a delicacy that they were prohibited from experiencing as slaves, but now that they are free, they celebrate with it. I love that story because it resonates so much with what Israel is experiencing. This is their Independence Day celebration. It's year two of their independence. It's their New Year celebration. So what do they do? They invite the presence of God among them. That's what couldn't happen when they were in Egypt. The problem was that they were slaves. The problem was that they were being led into a bitter life by the king of Egypt. But the biggest problem was that God couldn't live among them. So he had to rescue them out of there. He had to give them a law. And finally, at the end of the story here, at the end of Exodus, God moves in to live among them. I don't know if you ever find yourself in a place and you just ask the question, how did I get here? How did a set of events transpire to bring me to this place? Sometimes maybe it's, Ingratitude, like, wow, how did everything happen that I arrived here? And sometimes it's in grief. And you think, what went wrong where I landed here? That's, I think, a bit where God's people are as they celebrate this first New Year's celebration. What did God do to bring me here? Either way, when you get to that place, it's a chance to look back and look for signs of God. We have the opportunity to look for God's presence. Look for God's provision. Look for the ways that he's led us up to here. And this is what the Israelites do by building the tabernacle. This is a celebration of the ways that God has provided for them throughout the desert. And it takes some slowing down to do that. You don't just see that. You have to stop and reflect and consider 
part of what we're doing this morning. But as the story continues, we realize that the tabernacle is constructed, it's all ready, and finally we get to the climax of the book. Let me read Exodus 40, verses 34 to 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. How many of you have, how many of you have ever been moving somewhere, and you're trying to move into a new place, but, but it's not quite ready, and you have to wait, and you just, all you want to do is move in. That's the sense you get here. God has been waiting all throughout the book of Exodus to move in with his people. It's finally ready. And so the glory of the Lord rushes in to fill the tabernacle. God has a home. And this is the climax of the whole book. This is what all of Exodus has been building toward. The word used here is glory. It said that God's glory fills the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord. And that's a little bit of a funny word because it's not a word we use a lot today. When we do, we usually use it to refer to, to something great that I've done uh, and I deserve some type of recognition for it. Biblically, the word is kavod. And it carries the sense of weightiness or heft and refers to the value and worth of God. Glory refers to the worthiness of God, and the response to glory is always to praise it, to recognize the great value, and to ascribe praise, to respond with worship. If you think about that tabernacle that has $70 million worth of gold and silver and precious wood and precious artifacts, but then the glory of the Lord fills it, and his presence is so much more valuable than all of the material possessions that house him. It overflows this building. That's what happens when the glory of the Lord moves in. But as we keep reading, we notice that the glory of the Lord doesn't just move in and settle and stay and they live happily ever after. They're actually still on a journey. Look at what happens in verses 36 to 38. Throughout all their journeys, Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So we realize here that this is not just the end of a process. This is the beginning of their journeys. And the destination is the land that God has promised them, the promised land that they will inhabit, the place where they can call their own, where they can live among each other with God at their center. And so God says he is going to lead them there. And I want to think about the precise ways that he says he's going to lead them. If you are in the desert, you have several problems that you have to figure out how to manage so that you don't die. Problems one and two are food and water, right? But God has already provided those for his people. 
He's given them manna, and we've seen several cases where he's provided water for them. The next two problems are almost as serious, and that is during the day, the desert gets very, very hot. And during the night, the desert gets cold. Right, you guys are with me, good. This is probably the Arabian desert where God's people are wandering. And in the day, it could get up above 100 degrees, and at night, it could drop below freezing. So what does God do then to solve these problems for his people? During the day, he shows up as a cloud, and at night, he shows up as fire. As a cloud, he gives them shade, he protects them from the heat of the sun, and at night, he gives them warmth and light to protect them from the cold of the evening. And so God's presence shows up for his people as the very things they need to be protected. God shows up as a form of protection for his people. But he doesn't just stay there. Have you ever gone to a picnic and it's a hot summer day, so you, so you set up your blanket under, a, under the shade of a tree and you sit down and then 30 minutes later, the shade has moved. What do you do? You pick up your blanket and you move into the shade. So if God's people are in the desert and they're about to die from sunstroke, but they have a cloud and the cloud moves, what do they do? They go with them. If it's in the middle of the night and they're freezing, but they're warmed by the fire and the fire picks up and moves, they follow the fire. And so God leads his people by leading them in the direction where his protection is headed. So he cares for them and he leads them all wrapped up into one. And what I want to give us a moment now to consider is how God might have done that for us. See, we read here that the glory of the Lord shows up as a cloud. But the cloud is not the glory. The, the cloud is the way that God chose to manifest the glory. It's what God gave his people because it's what they needed. For us, it's helpful to take time to stop and look for God's presence. Look for the ways that he's shown up in our lives. So I want to give you a little moment, a moment of silence, where I want to invite you to think about one word. Come up with one word that references one of the ways that God has shown up in your life. How the glory of the Lord has made himself known to you. Or, you know, to put it simpler, just how has God protected you? What is one thing that summarizes that? Go ahead and take a minute and just prayerfully ask for that word from God. If you're someone who uses a journal, if you have a journal with you, go ahead and write that word down to, to keep hold of it. If you don't have a journal, uh, I hereby grant you pastoral permission to use your phones for the next 30 seconds to write it down on your phones or, or text yourself that word. Do something just, just so that word sticks with you, so you can hang on to that word. For God's people, it, it was cloud or fire. But I'm also aware that for some of us in the room, you may have a hard time coming up with a word because 
Some of us probably feel like God hasn't protected us. We've spent long days in the sun without any clouds. And we've had long nights in the cold where there's been no fire. And so for me to ask you, how has God protected you? You might be thinking, I'm not really sure he has, to be honest. If that's the place you find yourself, I want to encourage you. Because remember in the beginning of this story, God's people had been in Egypt for 400 years. But this is what we read, Exodus 2.25. We read, God saw the people of Israel and he knew. God saw the people of Israel and he knew. So even if you've had sunburned days and chilly nights, and you're not sure that God has protected you, I want you to know that God sees you and he knows. It may feel like he's forgotten you, but he has not. God knows what you're experiencing and he will work to protect you, to save you. This is what God does. God is with us. That's the first big idea. God makes himself known to us. He gives us these reminders to help us latch onto that truth that he is with us. But what we've been doing throughout the book of Exodus is we've seen how the themes in this book, the Old Testament book of Exodus, are really something that, that are carried forward throughout the biblical story. And we've spent a lot of time tracking how those themes get developed. And we've seen a lot of them leading us to the person of Jesus and what Jesus has done. So today I want to do that, but we're actually going to go even farther and look past Jesus to what God is doing in the future. We're going to do that by tracking this theme of the glory of the Lord. Because when we get to the New Testament, here's what some of the authors say. This is Hebrews 1, verses, the beginning of verse 3. This is in reference to Jesus. He, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So remember I said the cloud wasn't the glory of God. The cloud represented the glory of God. But here we read Jesus is the exact imprint. Jesus himself is the value, the worth of the glory of God. And so now that he's come, we might say, okay, now we all just live happily ever after in the presence of God. And yet that's not quite true. Because if we keep reading, we read that there is still something yet to come. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 2. Through him, that is Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's where we find ourselves now, having some sense of the presence of God. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We experience something now, but we also look forward. We don't rejoice in the experience of the presence of God, the glory of God. We rejoice in hope for it knowing that just like the Israelites, when they built a tabernacle, they knew that they would eventually be headed into the promised land. We too have a destination. God is leading history forward and he's leading us as part of it. 
We start to see that play out when we get to the last chapter of the New Testament, Revelation, the last book. Listen to this scene. It's very similar to the scene we have in Exodus. This is Revelation 15, verse 8. The sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And so once again, we saw the sanctuary in Exodus being filled. We see Jesus as the glory of God, but we're looking forward. And now in Revelation, we see the sanctuary being filled with the glory of God, but still there's an until. No one could enter the sanctuary until something had happened. We're being driven forward even farther, and finally we get to the end of the book of Revelation, and we read this. Revelation 21, 23, describing this new experience that God creates. We read, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. And so here, at the actual end of the story, we see that life is such that it is infused with the presence of God in every moment, like light in a city. That's where all of this is headed. That's the picture that Exodus paints for us so that we can look back and recognize God's provision, but also look forward to know where he's leading us. And so part of our role here and now is to wait for God's glory, to wait for him to show up. This is one of the fundamental postures of following Jesus. It's not primarily about what we do or how we get involved. What we're mostly doing at our very core is waiting for God to do his work. We wait for God's glory in hope, in joy, in anticipation, but we look forward to what's to come. But waiting is hard. The other day I was supposed to meet someone for lunch and I arrived at the restaurant on time, of course, right? And I'm getting there and the person I'm supposed to meet wasn't there yet. So I'm like, oh, there are a couple minutes later and then, you know, two minutes went by, three minutes, five minutes. And you know that feeling when you're waiting for someone and you start off feeling okay, and then, you know, if, if your anxiety is a thermometer, it, like, starts to go up. And then right about here, you're like, shoot, like, how long are you supposed to wait? I forget the rules. Like, can I leave in 15 minutes? Should I wait 20? I texted him. He hadn't responded. So you're, like, not sure what to do. Your, your temperature's going up. Your anxiety's rising. And it's been, like, 12 minutes. I'm like, all right, I don't know. And then I get a text back. Hey, I'm in traffic. I'm almost there. And what happens to my anxiety? Okay, everything's fine. Everything was rising, I was getting more and more nervous, and then I feel great. And my friend comes and we have a great lunch, we live happily ever after, right? <laughs> I think that's what God does for us sometimes, because waiting is hard. And so we wait for God's glory. We wait for him to show up. We wait for what he's leading us towards. But we start to question and we wonder, I'm not sure this is what it's supposed to feel like. Is God really there? Did I just believe this because it sounded easy? What, do I, what should I do? And our, our anxiety starts to rise because we're not sure if we're really waiting for the right thing. And then, I know you've experienced this, God shows up with little things. Maybe it's 
birds in the morning or a text from a friend or a passage from scripture that jumps out at you or, or a reminder of God's love or something and you can just relax and you can keep waiting because you know God is coming. You know he is going with you. Perhaps that word that you thought of earlier is that way that God reminds you. Maybe it's the same thing, that God shows up in our lives regularly. Sometimes it's through each other, us encouraging each other. But I pray that whatever that is, that you would latch onto that, that you would wait for that, and that God would give you the courage and the patience to wait for what he's doing. Well, this is uh, the end of the book of Exodus. We've arrived at the end, and we've seen this incredible transformation. The book of Exodus is in so many ways a story of God's saving work in our lives. The people of God were separated from him. They were living under foreign masters. They were not in control of their lives. They were oppressed, and their lives were bitter. They had no sense of who they were. And so God rescued them. He gave them freedom. He defeated their enemies, showing that their enemies were really not half as powerful as they thought they were. He led them into freedom. He provided for them bread and water and everything they needed. He gave them a law. He gave them the, the wisdom for how to live their lives in the way that their creator intended. He made them a people. He taught them how to live in such a way that they could worship him, that they could invite the presence of the God of heaven to be a real experience of theirs on earth. And at the end of the book, he lives among them. This is what God does. This is what Jesus has done. And if you don't count yourself a follower of Jesus, if you find yourself somewhere along this journey, this is what following Jesus, the redemption that Jesus offers, accomplishes in our lives. He transforms us into a people who can live anchored in who God is in every moment of every day. We're actually going to have some time now where we get to share with each other that word, if you want, that you chose to represent God's provision in your life. Um, maybe it's a word that you have experienced. Maybe it's a word that, that you want. Maybe it's not something that you have already experienced, but that you're hoping for. Um, but I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to bless this group, this community, ask God's favor upon us. And then Rolanda's going to come up and lead us in a time of sharing where you'll get a chance to, to share your word and maybe give a brief explanation if you want. So let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. You have taken us from a hard life where we're not in control and we face bitter work without a sense of your presence. And you've given us freedom. You've given us direction. You've given us an identity. You've given us wisdom, and ultimately you've given us your presence. You've moved into your home and lived among us. May we know for sure that you are with us and that you are going with us. God, I pray your blessing on each and every person here that you would appear to them in those moments where waiting gets hard, remind them of your presence, and give them a fresh sense of encouragement to continue depending on you. Thanks, Father, that we can even ask this and that you love us so much to care for us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.